The Urban Broadcast Collective brings together the best podcasts on cities and urban life. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Hello and welcome to uh, another in the podcast series from the Planning Institute of Australia Congress 2018, brought to you by the Urban Broadcast Collective. I'm Dr. Tony Matthews from Griffith University, and joined today by Chris O'Connor, uh, a man with a very interesting career history, uh, having started out in Western Australia as a planner and now working in Austin, Texas. So we're going to have a chat about that journey and some of his observations along the way and the places he's lived and why he is where he is and why he does what he does. And um, yeah, this is one we're really excited for. Chris, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate being here. Yeah, thanks for making the time. Um, so you're a Western Australian man? Yes, I am. Uh, born and raised in the great city of Perth. Still very dear to my heart, uh, even despite the fact now that I've lived in four pretty global cities over the course of my life. And uh, three of those um, have been in the last four years. So I've moved around a little bit uh, recently, but very happy to be calling Austin, Texas, uh, my home at this point in time too. Okay, so Perth to Austin, but a couple of cities in between. Where else have you lived? Spent 12 months in Sydney, uh, 2014 through 15. Uh, worked for the City of Sydney Council as a uh, strategic planner, working on a signage policy and a review of their development code that uh, is with working specifically on uh, billboards and technical, sorry, the new technology that comes with uh, digital signs and the applications of those in city life uh, and in particular heritage in the case of Sydney which is very very central to their uh, their core and urban fabric uh, and then followed by that I uh, worked for a, a large master plan developer in San Francisco it's actually an urban renewal project of a former US Navy shipyard known as Hunters Point shipyard uh, World War II vintage and adjoining to that was the original uh, stadium for the San Francisco Giants and the San Francisco 49ers, uh, the football team and the baseball team, uh, which was decommissioned in 2014 and uh, given to the city. And the company I was working for, uh, Five Point Communities, was the master developer in partnership with the city of San Francisco to see that project roll out. Um, Two years there working on that project and uh, my wife and I and our young son just made the decision to head east uh, to Austin, Texas, uh, primarily for a number of reasons, but uh, we one big thing was uh, we wanted to, uh, to move back to where my wife had spent a good chunk of her adult life living in Texas, in Austin and you know, be, beginning the, begin the process of raising our son in a, in a place that was a little more our sort of pace and our sort of style. Okay, so um, your wife is American? She's American, yes. Okay, and you guys met over there? We did, we met in Austin. Um, it's through a mutual friend who was actually an Australian planner working in the, uh, the central Texas area. So happened to be in town uh, for a fairly short period of time, but uh, we hit it off straight away and were able to do a long distance relationship for uh, several months. And then we decided that uh, we would give the relationship a good go and both found ourselves moving to Sydney to pursue jobs and also see how the relationship was going to work out and uh, fortunately she was patient and uh, and taken enough by me to uh, to to stick around and uh, as we say we've now got married and we have a, a beautiful 16 month old boy called Everett. Oh wonderful okay well that sounds great and um, I mean you know it's it's your story is I won't say unique but it's unusual I mean we don't see a lot of planners that get trained up here in Australia that are practicing here 
going overseas, or if we do, it seems that mostly they tend to go to the UK. Now, you haven't done that. You've gone to the US. I have not, have not been to the UK, no. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about, um, like, I mean, I understand there was probably a heavy dose of, of, of personal decision in it with your wife being an American and, and so on and so forth, but in terms of, you know, the professional decision, that professional leap when you moved from Sydney to San Francisco, what inspired that and, and, and how did that go for you? Was it an easy transition or was it pretty bumpy? So I'd always, even before meeting my wife, been very fascinated with the US, not only as a culture, but just the, the size and, and the, the makeup of their cities. Uh, San Francisco was a place that I had been to a few times and had always really enjoyed myself as a, as a visitor and someone who you know, really enjoyed that um, very maritime and very laid back culture, but also the, just the general underlying vibe of the place was, was very appealing. And, uh, there were you know, several other cities as well, like Chicago and New York, that obviously people talk about as being great cities too. So, um, the, so the, I guess the opportunity and the intrigue of um, taking the professional career along with the relationship over to the US was, was something that I saw as an adventure and something that um, would, would definitely extend me and challenge me in, in good ways. And I certainly found that to be the case. So I, I, I will definitely admit that the Probably the first 12 months of, of working in San Francisco was a real shock to the system. And I think not necessarily because of the type of planning work that it was, but it was more just the way that uh, development is done and the way that politics work over there. Uh, the, the American planning system is very, very political and very driven by the community. So the, the planners really do see their role in a very traditional sense of being the the facilitators of what the community wants mm -hmm. and uh, turning that into plans that, that really are, are satisfying the public good. Uh, not to say that that doesn't happen here in Australia at all, but I, I really do feel that the, the planning and the, uh, the drivers for planning decisions really are coming from the grassroots. Um, and so that, that was definitely a, um, an interesting uh, new experience for me, um, you know, particularly walking into a city as well that's as, as big and diverse as San Francisco. Um, you have, it's definitely one of the, um, the more progressive and one of the more affluent cities in the country with the, the cost of living there is, you know, arguably worse than New York these days. Um, you know, easily you'd be paying $3,000 a month for a one bedroom, one bathroom apartment in the, in the heart of San Francisco. So, a lot of people are now forced to live further and further away from the downtown areas and it's creating also equally a lot of opportunities for other areas like Oakland and areas in the East Bay, south south towards Silicon Valley to actually sort of renew and, and sort of see the, the, the property values and the, um, the composition of those social dynamics start to change as well and which obviously comes with positive and negative um, consequences. Yeah, you know, San Francisco is a, a city that's very dear to me as well. Um, I went and lived there when I was uh, 19 for four months. And um, the city where I'm from, Cork in Ireland, has, has been twinned with San Francisco since the 80s for quite a while and still is. Um, and we went off there on a, a summer work visa, me and a bunch of my friends. In uh, 1999, we went there. And I guess it was kind of my first proper experience of living, uh, you know, independently away from home in another country. And I, I just remember getting more and more into kind of the, 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 the vibe of San Francisco and the kind of the layout of it and the structure and spatial form and beginning to understand it. And it, it really, for me, started to kind of open my eyes to what a city could be. 
Um, and then I didn't go back for almost 20 years and I went back only a few weeks ago. So I was like 19 years out of there and, and I realized how formative that experience had been. Um, you know, that was probably what put me ultimately on the road to becoming a planner and things like that. So it's a very important city for me. But one of the things that I noticed when I was back there and you kind of alluded to it and I'm interested in hearing a bit more about this was it was always expensive. It was always a costly place. Rents were always very, very high. I remember we were living in the Fillmore in 1999. We had a three bedroom apartment. And that was not, an, you know, not a good area. Um, there had been a fair bit of urban renewal, but it was still pretty, sure. pretty bad and you know, dangerous and not, not a great area. But um, when I when I went back there, it's like you said, you know, now it's one bedroom apartments for three thousand a month, and uh, and somebody made the observation to me recently that the now you have more pets and more dogs actually specifically in San Francisco than children, children. because people can't afford that. Absolutely. So, so, you know, you obviously lived there for much longer than I did. I was really just back there as a tourist. Um, you know, how does that sort of play out? What, what, what's the presentation around that? I think that people generally are unhappy about the fact that it costs so much to live there and it's a very desirable city. Um, it has so much to give and so much to offer. But... What I've found not only with San Francisco but many other large U.S. cities is that it really is quite extreme in the um, the gap between the rich and the not so well off. And San Francisco has a, a, a definitely a very high concentration of, of, of people living on the street and, and you know not not doing too well um, in terms of their own personal circumstances. So. It, it's that the polarization between the rich and the poor, I think, is really causing a lot of, um, I don't want to call it angst, but it's definitely causing a lot of uh, discussion and debate about what can San Francisco as a city be doing to try and better bring those two polarized aspects together and sort of make sure that it doesn't become an us and them or a rich and poor or a you know, you and me kind of uh, kind of approach to yeah, city life. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting, actually. And, you know, I have two thoughts on that. One is that I've, there were far less homeless people there in 2018 than there were in 1999. Um, in 1999, it was really just so overwhelmingly obvious. I mean, sure. there were homeless people everywhere. Um, 2018, there are still many of them around, far too many, but... I felt like it was probably only half the level it was the last time I was there. Interesting. And it's interesting because I don't know where they went. Yes, and well, I think that's the, 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 the million dollar question is, are they still there and they're just out of sight and they're just finding other places to kind of hide away or are they literally being pushed to other parts of the Bay Area or even other parts of the, the California region? Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, and that was, that's, you know, because I remember somebody saying to me back in 99 that the reason that there were so many of them in San Francisco was because it was a city that wouldn't move homeless people on, whereas most of the rest of California would. So if you were homeless, usually what would happen is the local sheriff would tell you you could do a month in jail for vagrancy or take a bus ticket to San Francisco, and that was why a lot of people went there. I don't know if that was true or not. but mm-hmm. um, And I guess the other thing that I noticed this time was that when you went south of market, it seemed to be shabbier than it used to be and a lot more um, homeless people south of market than there used to be but not north of market so okay. interesting kind of if you've ever been to San Francisco Market Street goes down the middle right. of it and sort of divides like, the city the, yeah. the financial district and the city um, yeah. uh, one side to the other it's, it's quite an interesting uh, from an aerial viewpoint anyway just seeing these uh, very acute angles on the streets and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah yeah, and I think the other thing that I remember very clearly and I wasn't really there long enough to explore this one but I'm interested in your opinions on it again we were living in the Fillmore district 
uh, you could cross Geary Boulevard and be in Pacific Heights and you went yeah. so basically from a place where people had nothing and you, you know, people digging in, in trash cans 100%. and things like that you know and you crossed the road and you were into houses starting at 3 million and this was in the late 90s you know? totally. so, um, and that was a very sharp division I'd never seen anything like that before is, it, is that still there? That I still notice that a lot um, I, th- I think that uh, and that's a common trend in places like New York and Chicago and big cities uh, anywhere in the, in the US and not even necessarily just in the US either but it really is a um, yeah there really are the lines of separation between neighborhoods are so obvious but such a polarized um, different opinion and different um, experience one side of the street to the other for sure yeah yeah okay well I mean we've talked all day about San Francisco I, I, but let's not um, you've, you've, you've you did some work there you were working on the shipyard projects and obviously that was probably quite appealing to you given that you were interested in this maritime stuff like what was the highlight of that for you I think uh, working with a really great team um, of uh, just very smart, very capable and very intelligent uh, people, not only in the planning sense, but also we were a a development company. So we had engineers, we had architects, we had people who were very specialised in community affairs and and stakeholder outreach. So I think one of the, the big takeaways from that whole experience was just learning so much more about not only the development process, but also just about how development is different in context so you know doing development in the USA versus doing development in Australia they have different ways of thinking different ways of approaching and identifying uh, problems and solving those problems so I think that really helped me to just get a whole broad range of uh, perspective that I probably would never have really even thought would have been possible had I have continued to to stay here and work in the same city that I I always had and, and grew up in yeah. Um, so that that was probably the big takeaway for me, and I think I'm a significantly better professional now as a result of that experience. Yeah, I think there's always a lot of value to be had in going international. Um, what I was one of the questions I'm really interested in, in teasing out a little bit with you is, so you arrive in the US and 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 you've got an Australian planning qualification. You're planning experiences in Australia. Um, and I've spent a lot of time in the US as well. One of the things that I've always um, noticed is that they can be a little bit um, parochial in terms of if you haven't had a US education, if you haven't had experience of working in the US, then any experience or education that you have is irrelevant. It doesn't matter because it's not it's not uh, American. And we, 100%. and I see that in the research field as well. And I go to the American conferences sometimes. But how did you find that? I mean, you, you obviously you, you landed in San Francisco. You, you probably didn't have a huge professional network there. Maybe you had none. How long did it take you to find your feet, get going, and, and did you encounter significant barriers? So when we decided that we were going to move to the US and spend time living there and, set and look at setting our life up, um, the first thing I wanted to do was really to try and narrow down, because at that point in time we, we, we had ideas about where we wanted to be. We initially thought we would probably just head straight to Austin because that was where my, my wife had spent um, her, her living life before we met. Um, but she also has family on the west coast of the US that she's very close with. And uh, so we were open-minded to other, uh, other cities and other places as well. Um, so I really, as far as my process goes, I really put everything on the value of building a network uh, because being completely real about things, um, there is, as you say, a, a lot of parochialism. And I think that unlike the profession here, they, and, and it was talked about in one of the, um, the the welcome reception when with the American Planning Association representatives being here. They 
have six or seven thousand people attend their equivalent of this conference that we're at. You know, here in in Perth, I think we have you know four or five hundred here um, this time around, maybe a, a, a little more. Um, don't know the specific number, but. Um, I think that uh, it's, it's just been told it's uh, 700. So, but you know, if you think about it, the uh, you know that's about you know just just uh, just over 10 percent of the uh, the size of the conference that we're at today that they have attending their uh, their their conference. So there are a lot more people over there that work in the planning space. Um, people who are coming in with legal degrees, engineering degrees, landscape architecture degrees. Um, they are working and competing for opportunities in in the planning planning space. So. You can completely understand that if there are jobs advertised and uh, you know there's 200 applicants, the, the 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 person from Australia who has no local experience is not necessarily going to get much of a look in. So I, I I was confident in the skills that I had and the experience that I had would be translatable. Um, so I sort of tackled it from a slightly different uh, angle, which was really just get on the ground and then really just network my my little booty off um, to use the proverbial there, but. Um, to really just meet as many people as I could, have conversations. Um, and I really found that helpful for a number of reasons, not only in finding a job, but it actually helped me to um, figure out some of the, 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 um, the, the subtle differences between what I understood of concepts and theories of planning. So a lot of it's um, at a high level very much the same, but they use different terms to describe processes or they use particular terms to describe um, activities in the planning space. So it helped me to figure out how I should be preparing my um, supporting information to demonstrate my experience. Um, and, and also just to you know, help get a finger on the pulse about, okay, where, where are there opportunities that exist? Where, are, where is development happening? Where is development not happening? Uh, what sort of skills are they looking for in the people that they want to bring into their organisations. And uh, so I was very fortunate that through that process, I was introduced to um, a, a number of people um, that uh, were able to, um, you know, sort of point me in the direction of the company I ended up with in San Francisco, Five Point Communities. And uh, I was fortunate that when I had a chance to sit down with them and, and sort of talk about the experience I had in Australia, that they saw a lot of alignment there and a lot of value in having someone not only with the experience, but maybe with a slightly different way of thinking about things to um, come into the projects um, and, and add some value there. So I was very fortunate. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because, I mean, I, I did my planning qualifications in Ireland oh, 10 years ago. And, um, well, I went back to requalify as a planner. In fact, I didn't start out that way. But, um, and you know, I had a firm eye on working in the U.S. myself at the time. And I joined the American Planning Association. I got Planning Magazine every month. And I, I began to realize very quickly that there's a lot more nuance and a lot more subfields in American planning. Mm -hmm. Like they're, and they're sort of active in ways that that planning is not active here. Like, the, the, for example, they do like there's a whole subfield of planning for LGBTI yes. communities, right? Which just absolutely doesn't feature on the planning radar here. It's not that it it doesn't matter. It's just not it wouldn't be a recognized subfield and so on. And do, uh, things like planning for mobility and people with disabilities and they seem to be much more advanced than than they were in Ireland, where I was training, or in, in Britain, which is a very similar system, and I was also a member of the of PIA and things like that. So just, there seemed to be a lot more nuance there. And I've, so I'm very interested in what you said about people coming in from a variety of different backgrounds and yep. um, and, and professional qualifications, finding work within the planning space. Absolutely, and I, and I think that any time that you can bring fresh perspective in is really valuable, and I think it does take some progressive thinking organisations to adopt that approach because... It is a gamble, and, and I realised very um, 
you know, very realistically that I was a gamble for a lot of uh, potential employers because I didn't have a track record that they could really um, qualify me against because it's like, okay, well, that's, that's great that you, you know, did, um, you know, development review and development assessment in, in Western Australia, but, you know, that doesn't mean anything because you don't know any of the codes or any of the standards or any of the guidelines that we have here in our city. So, you know, you're basically going to be like, a, even though you've got at the time 10 years experience, you're really going to be almost like an entry level because you're starting from learning, learning an, an entirely new way of, of thinking. So I, I acknowledge that it was a risk and that was why I went more for the networking approach and you know, let me be able to share my experiences with them in a more informal capacity and then hope that that would then firstly you know, result in opportunities for more discussion, but also for people to be able to go, well, I, I can help you by introducing you to someone who I think really aligns with your, your skills and background. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it seems, and I'm, I'm keen to ask you more about this, but it seems like your skills in that area have served you well, because now you're in Austin and you're freelancing, you're working for yourself. Yes. So networking is imperative to what you do and, and, really and, 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 and making sure that you're kept busy and that there's a revenue stream there. So. Why did you move to Austin? Um, why did you decide to go freelance and how's it going? So we moved to Austin, uh, basically primarily for, again, for more for personal reasons, more so than professional, but um, we uh, gave birth to our, our son Everett at the beginning of 2017. And at that point, I think, we, you know, for reasons that we talked about before, we, we had to look at what our preferred and ideal arrangement was for raising a, a kid and starting a family. Um, as, as more than more than just my wife and I, uh, we wanted to be in a place where we had a little bit more space around us. Uh, it was a little bit more of a, um, a suburban community kind of kind of environment. And my wife had lived in Austin for such a long time that I think she really felt as though Austin would provide a really good um, you know, grounding for, for us as a as a family to to be able to raise raise our son. So that was really the the, the driver for us heading back there. And she also was uh, excited about. Um, you know, sort of coming out of, of, of the process of having a kid, of, of sort of getting back into the workforce. And she was very excited about working with her previous employer who had basically said to her when she left that she was always welcome back. And she was, um, uh, you know, she's very happy to be back working and, and, uh, and, and, and doing what she was doing before um, she left Austin in the first place. So, uh, so when I first got to Austin, I was doing um, some collaborative work with a, a, a company um, and I, I guess through that process and over the course of time, um, I just felt as though working more as a freelancer and doing my own thing was going to sort of suit the circumstances of where we were at as a you know, young parent and wanting to be able to um, better manage my schedule and my time to be able to, um, to suit the family life that goes with it. And I was very fortunate again through the, the, you know, the process of networking that I was connected uh, through a very good friend of mine, uh, Tiffany Lacey, who is also here at the conference and gave, also gave a presentation um, to an Australian development company um, that were doing a project um, in a city called New Braunfels uh, in, in central Texas. It's approximately, um, I'd say a little closer to San Antonio, but halfway between San Antonio and Austin. So that's a, um, a, a large master plan community. It's, um, and, and you know, Tiffany had, previously worked with this company and uh, had decided to move on to, to do other things and uh, through that that process I was introduced to her company and and, and fortunately they've um, because they had a gap in, in in the needs that they had um, from from Tiffany leaving 
uh, they, they were looking for someone who could kind of come in as a consultant and fill that void for getting the approvals in place for the, the, the next phase of their development, which was a commercial phase. And uh, so, so far it's, it's been, uh, been about three months that I've been working with them and on that project. Um, and that really is my, my core client at this point in time. And um, just given the size and magnitude of what's in, involved, it does take up the majority of, of the work week. Um, so that's that's working out really well, and uh, as you say, uh, uh, we said earlier in the conversation, the networking side of things is going to really come in, uh, in 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 critical need because you know once that project um, wraps up, then it's really purely 100% on me to go and out there and find that next opportunity, whether it's working with a similar master plan developer or whether it's doing more stuff with um, with other people in and around Austin or Central Texas. Yeah, and it's you know it's 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 one of the things that. Like I really push very hard with my own students, particularly the ones that are heading towards the the business end of things, you know, that within a year or so of graduating, it's like you have got to network. You just have to. You got to meet people, make contact with people, take them out for a coffee, yeah. go to a conference, go to a professional development workshop, introduce yourself, be known, make sure you've got a business card handy, collect mm-hmm. business cards, follow up, make those connections. But a lot of people are not great at that. And it's not and often sometimes that's a confidence thing but it's so important so just um, maybe as a last question because I'm conscious of your time here um, what advice would you give to um, emerging or young planners or graduate planners who have you know a little bit of experience under their belt or are soon to go into the workforce in terms of not just the value of networking but also if they're to take themselves out of their comfort zone and, and go internationally what would be you know what, what are your kind of key messages I think the, the first thing is to really do your homework um, and you know, that seems like a really obvious thing but you know I, I, I there's no way that I would have been able to have got to the point where I am today if I hadn't have spent you know several months doing some initial research and initial looks into the you know the things that I'm going to potentially face as a not only a, a new migrant to a new country but um, but trying to uh, trying to transfer into a completely different the same industry, same industry, same profession, but in a completely different context. So, you know, we're talking about this before the, the terminology of things. So, you know, for example, in Australia, we talk about the subdivision of land, whereas over there, that process is called platting. Um, so, you know, just understanding some of those those subtle differences is, is really important because when you get to the point of trying to demonstrate your qualifications and your experience, and you know, even for a young person, if you don't have a lot of, um, you know, you might only have a year or two of experience or maybe not even a lot of that at all, they're gonna be more impressed by the fact that you have been able to, um, yeah, just be able to make it as easy for them to see your candidacy by doing your research and being up to speed with local issues. And that will really impress them and, uh, and, and put you in the best position to be able to sell yourself as a viable candidate because if you're still using phrases and terms and, and information that is not relevant to them, then they're just going to kind of put you in the in the discard pile. Um, so definitely the homework is, is one thing. Um, I, I can't, again, stress the value of networking. Uh, what the, the, the approach that I took to networking, which I think was really successful as well, was to really not make it about finding a job. Um, it was really more about sort of reaching out to people and wanting to just simply connect with them and find ways of being able to um, just just generally just have more of a collegial kind of uh, introduction and relationship because employers, whether it's here in Australia or in the US, you know, they're getting approached by a lot of people, sometimes hundreds of people at a time who want to come and work there and the more competitive the job market, the, the more 
um, you know, lobbying and advocating behind the scenes um, that people are. So they, the last thing that they're going to want to do is is kind of put you in the category of being just someone else who's looking for a job. And if you if they can kind of see that you're someone who's interesting, someone who's an, a, a good person, and someone actually who is very smart and astute. They may not necessarily be able to give you a job themselves, but they would be very happy to then recommend you or refer you on to people that they know. So every conversation, every coffee, every sort of um, phone call that I was doing as part of my, my process, um, one of the, the, the big things was to establish enough rapport with the person that they would be happy to introduce me to at minimum, hopefully one of their colleagues um, or someone that they thought would be a good person for me to speak to. Um, so I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't asking them for a job. I was asking them about their organisations, asking them about the sort of work that they do, using that as an opportunity to sell or talk to them about things that I had done that was similar to see whether there was at least any synergy there. But always, yeah, always leaving with, with someone else to follow up with. And if you sort of think about it as like a, um, an exponentially growing pyramid, you know, one person, if they introduce you to two, then that next person introduces you to two, then you've obviously, your, your, your network is going to expand um, very quickly over, over time. And then obviously it's important to not only just do the networking yourself, but then follow up and, you know, try and maintain and, and, and keep those relationships um, alive and well so that that way if you ever need to reconnect with those people in the future, it's not a complete random, um, uh, you know, reach out after two or three years. Yeah, wonderful. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Um, certainly happily keep going here, but uh, better draw to a close. Um, Chris O'Connor, um, thank you for your time. What are you? Where would people find you? If any of our listeners wanted to find you, have you got a company name now or are you just... Yeah, so I'm doing my freelancing under the company name Urban Pulse. Um, so uh, certainly people can um, look me up on LinkedIn. It's probably the best way of reaching me uh, in a professional sense. Um, so um, just if you do a search on my name, Chris O'Connor, Urban Pulse, uh, that should find me there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always very happy for people to reach out to me um, through LinkedIn directly um, or my email address, um, which is Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at Urban Pulse, U-R-B-A-N-P-U-L-S-E dot biz, B-I-Z. Um, very happy for people to reach out to me anytime and uh, even if it's just simply to introduce themselves and if I can be of, of assistance or, um, or some, you know, help point you in the right direction um, as far as anything uh, in planning wise or development wise in the US, then very happy to, to hear from you. Super, Chris, thanks so much for your time. Thank really you, appreciate it. Really appreciate it, Tony.